Welcome to another episode of Niners Explain. My name is Kyle Posey. Today I'm joined by Rob Guerrero. Rob, what's going on? Kyle, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. So, it's been a while. This is the first official podcast of the 2020 season, and there has been some news. The last, since we, the last time we have talked, Debo Samuel has broken his foot. Richie James has broken his wrist. A couple player, or a couple players have also gone on the COVID-19 list. There are also, as we mentioned, that whole COVID situation that has just really changed a lot of the off-season dynamic. And we're going to get into that, but there is no bigger news, Rob, than the 49, one of the 49ers' best players, arguably the best player, George Kittle. The 49ers have yet to extend George Kittle, who is entering the final year of his contract. And on Friday, the latest news from Mike Silver, who is tied into the 49ers, but it Mike, it's Mike Silver, so he's always going to put his own twist on the news. Silver reported that there's a disconnect between Kittle and the 49ers. It sounded, just based off Silver's report, that Kittle would like to be paid as a wide receiver, and he's not so much concerned with breaking the market of the tight ends because tight ends are being paid, you know, $10, 12000000 million. And Kittle was voted on the top 100 players list, which we might get into. Kittle was voted as the seventh best player in the NFL, which, I mean, you're not going to get many arguments from not a lot of people just because he was that dominant. So what are, what are, your, what are your thoughts on uh, the whole Kittle situation, Rob? I think the worst thing the 49ers could do, and I said this uh, when I was hosting on the 49ers Web Zone podcast, is pay George Kittle $20 million a year. George Kittle is awesome. He's a great player. Like you said, the players voted him seventh best in the NFL. But he's not worth $20 million a year. And if he thinks he is, he can go get that in two years after the 49ers franchise him twice because they'd be stupid to pay that amount of money. Yeah, this is going to be fascinating. So last week we were under the impression that a deal was done, and I put that on Niners Nation, and I was convinced that it was done. That news obviously was not correct. I was also told that these situations are fluid. Whatever happened between Thursday of last week and up to Friday, so July 31st, something has changed between these two. I don't know if he just felt like these offers that he was getting was disrespectful. I was under the impression that Kittle would make anywhere between $13, million, $13.5 a season with incentives that would pay him more. That is now completely sideways off the table, whatever happened. And the information that I was told recently also lined up with Silver. So I don't know if it was just disrespectful, something changed, and I just have no idea what that was. But I do agree that, and I think this is where a lot of fans are having a really tough time because Kittle can be a generational player. That can be true. You can also not want to play this generational, pay this generational player $20 million, whatever it is, to pay him like an actual top receiver in the NFL. Whether, even if that's $17 million, I don't think that I would want to pay him $17 million just because and a lot of this is Kyle Shanahan's a play caller. But at the same time, $17 million is a lot of money for a tight end. And does he really make the needle move that much? Like, great player, dominant receiver, best blocker in the game at his position. Like, there's nobody that's arguing that. We're talking about a team structure – with what Kyle Shanahan wants to do on offense, is that how you want to construct your offense? Because a couple years from now, 
let's say that Brandon Ayuk blows up. Let's say that Debo Samuel continues to blow up. You're going to have to pay those guys, and the, you, the more you pay Kittle, the less you're going to have, the less flexibility you're going to have for that. So, what, what's the number that you feel like that the 49ers should not budge off when it comes to Kittle? I think the most you give Kittle, the most is 15 million a year. That that seems to me to be fair. That would reset the tight end market. It would pay him for both his receiving and his blocking. It wouldn't break the bank totally and go absolutely crazy. But I, I don't think you can ask for more than that from the 49ers. If they say, hey, look, we're paying you more than any tight end has ever made before in the history of the NFL because we think you're the best. How are you going to argue with that? Like, what do you come back with? Yeah, and it, what I would imagine is – he wants to be viewed more as an offensive weapon, quote-unquote, and less of a tight end. So if that's the case, he is going to be thought of as a wide receiver, and that is going to mean he wants to make over $15 million a year. And if these two cannot come to an agreement, so August 7th is when the 49ers are going to you know, put the helmets on, I believe is the date, and then on the 12th of August is when the team will, quote-unquote, start to practice. So will Kittle show up? Will he show up to practice? Will he show up to practice and actually practice? Or there, there are so many, so many situations in this. I, I just hope it doesn't bleed into the season. I think the last thing that San Francisco needs is this hanging over their head as the team is trying to, you know, get back to the Super Bowl, get over the Super Bowl hangover. You don't want your best players' contract negotiations to hang over their head. So what do you, how do you think this all ends up working out? I think it's going to ultimately work out for a couple of reasons. I don't think Kittle's going to skip anything because, number one, he said he wouldn't. Now, like you said, things change, and if there was some sort of incident or insult that took place and he's now angry at the team, maybe that could change. But he has already stated that he's not going to skip anything. And the new CBA that was just agreed to basically makes it impossible for guys to hold out because they would just get financially crushed. So I think he's going to show up. And if the 49ers have shown anything recently, it's that they understand how negotiations are viewed by the other players in the locker room. Look at what happened with the Raheem Mostert situation, right? So supposedly they were his representatives were talking to the team. They couldn't get anywhere. He went public with a trade request. The next, in the next few days after that, we found out that he sort of made up with the team. And like a week after that, we find out, hey, look, the team took care of Raheem Mostert. They reworked his deal. He can earn a lot more money now. So – they understand how this is viewed in the locker room and that they need to take care of their guys. So I think eventually it gets done. I think this is a little sort of Mike Silver carrying the water for George Kittle's people, honestly. Yeah, and what I would imagine is, so yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because if Kittle does choose to opt out, which that that opt-out date is August 7th, he would earn $150,000 for the season. And that's, he doesn't get to keep that, by the way. He has to pay it right. back out of his next season's salary. So it's not like, a hey, here's $150,000. It's, hey, we're going to take that money from you for next season. We're going to give it to you now, but it's ours. It's not going to be yours. So that just doesn't seem like a realistic option. And everything we know about Kittle is he loves the game of football. So you would think that they're going to get a, get something done. I just can't imagine him playing on a $2 million salary after everything that he's done in the last two years. And I'm, the, I'm bringing up most of it is another good point because he's, he's voices his voice. He, Kittle has voiced his displeasure. The 49ers are well aware of that. And Lynch has been adamant that we're doing everything we can. We're going to work on this. We're going to get something done. So it's, it's very early. 
it is very, very early. If we're still talking about this three weeks from now, then maybe I'd be concerned. But, I mean, they haven't even put on pads. So once the pads come on, come on that's when I would – that's when I would start to worry. Is there is there anything else that you think we need to touch on on this Kittle situation? Um, I think that if the salary cap was not going to go down next year, this deal would already be done. I think that's what's adding an extra layer to this whole thing, is that for the first time in basically forever, because of COVID-19, the salary cap's going to go down. So all these plans that these teams had about how to structure all their star players' deals have to get completely revised because – no one figured that this was going to happen and that the salary cap was ever going to go down. So I think there's a little recalculation taking place. I think it will happen. Everybody's going to adjust, take a deep breath, and like you said, I think it gets done. All right, so now let's talk about, speaking of John Lynch, he just got extended. And Kyle Shanahan got extended first. What Lynch said was, you know, the, the Kyle Shanahan, the reason he got extended first was because the whole COVID situation as well. And the team took care of Kyle first, and now Lynch got extended. So Lynch and Shanahan will be with the 49ers through 2024. Is there anything that we need to be concerned about? Because Shanahan's deal is one year longer than Lynch. And what, before, I, before I let you answer that, Lynch, during when he spoke on the KNBR earlier in the week, he said that I'm not going to be around forever. Like he said something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing or whatever, but like he he may not want to do this forever. I don't know if that was hinting at a promotion for Adam Peters. I don't know if Lynch wants to be in the front office for a long period of time, but a multi-year extension. And coming from the media, John Lynch already was making a lot of money. So that's why this was a surprise to some or just in general. But it gives the 49ers stability. And they're going to have two very aggressive, like a very aggressive general manager, a very aggressive head coach. And I think that's who you want running your team. So were the 49ers right to extend Lynch? Well, I'm glad you pointed out the difference in their contrast because that's exactly where I was going to go. Like when Lynch and Shanahan came in, everybody made a big deal out of the fact that they both had six-year deals. They were married together. They were both going to be on the same page. They were going to have a real kumbaya relationship, unlike Jim Harbaugh and Trent Baalke, and it has worked out exactly that way. Now it's interesting to see that Kyle Shanahan's deal is one year longer than John Lynch's deal, but let's be honest, Kyle. Kyle Shanahan is John Lynch's boss. We all know that. I mean, John Lynch literally called Kyle Shanahan and said, hey, will you hire me to be your GM? I mean, that's exactly how he got the job, and that's straight from Lynch's mouth. So the more important person got locked up first. So even if Lynch does move on, like you said, the team has a structure in place. Everything orbits around Kyle Shanahan. And, and for now, things are stable in 49erland. We've seen that doesn't always last. But for now, you can exhale a little bit. The most important parts of this team's resurgence are secure for the immediate future. I, I am 100% on board with this being Kyle's team. If Kyle had any sort of, any sort of feeling that Lynch is not the guy – this extension does not happen. There is no chance that this happens. And I remember a year ago, Bleacher Report put out that there was friction, a working friction between <laughs> Lynch and Shanahan. What ensued was a Super Bowl run and both receiving extensions. So a lot of friction. And I think the, the one thing that we need to point out is think about your work. Think about what you do every day. If you get along with your coworkers every single day, that's just not realistic. These guys are together for like upwards of like 16 hours a day, just long, crazy days. And 
you are not going to have agreements on every player. Think about it. We we all watch the same play, and we still argue about plays in the Super Bowl. So if they're talking about players and decisions, that's just natural. That's going to happen. I think it was a wise idea to lock Lynch up. I think that Kyle Shanahan, this is his team. I think Kyle Shanahan is going to be the 49ers coach for a long, long time, even well after 2025. I'm not so sure that Lynch will be around, but I think that's more on Lynch and less on, you know, the dynamic between him and Kyle Shanahan. So good on them. Um, Lynch is going to be continue to be aggressive. I'm interested to see how, obviously, the Kittle deal works out. I want to see if, you know, this we talked about Debo Samuel breaking his foot, and we're going to – we're going to talk about that right now. If the young receivers don't step up, will Lynch make another aggressive in-season trade for a receiver? That is, if Debo is out for an extended period of time. So Debo Samuel broke his foot, and when Lynch was on KNBR, he didn't give a specific timetable. So the original timetable for Debo to be out was 10 to 12 weeks, which would be the end of September, beginning of October, missed three to four games or so. Lynch would not really comment on that, and I think that was kind of telling. And I don't want to read into this too much, but I don't, I don't know if Debo will be back. Debo has been pretty adamant that he's not going to miss any games, but, you know, what's a, a player is not going to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to miss until Christmas. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I but, ain't going to be there. I'll be out. <laughs> that Magic Johnson, I'm yes. not going to be there. <laughs> yeah, like that, that's it's not realistic. That's how players are. I mean, you, why, would, why would he say anything else? So let's talk about the receiver battle because you cannot talk about the 49ers without talking about the amount of receivers that they have on this team. So if Debo Samuel goes down, that means we are dealing with Kendrick Bourne, who – People on the forty, how people on the Forty ers feel about Kendrick Bourne, and how people on outside of the Forty ers feel about Kendrick Bourne, I feel like are two completely different stories, and we can get into that. But we have Kendrick Bourne, we have Brandon Ayuk, first round rookie, we have Jalen Hurd, third round from last year, but he did not play due to back injury, but he is healthy now, and you can see in his workouts, and he looks great. We also have Dante Pettis. <laughs> who? 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 Kyle Shanahan feels not so strongly about. And then Trent Taylor, who is healthy, and Juwan Jennings, seventh round pick. And then there is also Travis Benjamin, who came over from the Chargers. So there is plenty of talent. There is also plenty of unproven talent. And I think we need. It's important to make that distinction because Hurd is. So talented. Like, there's no taking away. Taylor is is a great fit for the offense. I don't think he, you know, really moves the needle. I'm really interested in what Juwan Jennings can do, and I would not mind to see the ghost of Pettis return to see what he can do because if we're talking about just perimeter receivers, and Debo was better when he was in the slot, but he's also, like, he's a perimeter receiver. The 49ers really don't have many options on the outside, so that might pave the way for Pettis. Who is going to step up in Debo's absence? Somebody's going to have to because, like you said, they, it's, a, it's a mash of guys right now. You know, they always say if you have two quarterbacks, that means you don't have one. Well, the 49ers have like seven wide receivers now. Do they have more than one? I don't know. Oh, man. I want to say Jalen Hurd because I was encouraged like everybody was. I was watching him catch those touchdowns and shove the Dallas Cowboys around in that preseason game, but we just don't know. I think that it's going to have to be Kendrick Bourne. He was the reliable target for them, especially in the red zone. 
He did have a couple of high-profile drops, but for the most part, if you look at the season as a whole, he was actually a very reliable receiver. He's got experience in the system, so he's not going to have to learn a complicated system in this crazy, no no padded practice. Who knows if there's going to be a practice tomorrow because of COVID-19 world. I have to go with Bourne, and I hope, and I really hope because I like him. I think Trent Taylor could do a lot of damage in this offense. Garoppolo loves him. They had great chemistry when they did play together. So I lean on Bourne. If you get Taylor in the slot, you still have Kittle. And in Kyle, I trust. I feel like he's going to piece it together and find a way to get guys open. And the chemistry between Garoppolo and Taylor is a very good point. I also think that we talked about this on another podcast so last training camp in 2019, it wasn't Debo that was impressing. It was Jalen Hurd, and it was also Trent Taylor. Trent Taylor was undoubtedly the best receiver on the 49ers in training camp last year. He looked like a guy that was going to catch 70, 80 passes, beat a security blanket. So, yeah, he is going to be the, the receiver that really helps Garoppolo on these shorter distances, with medium. And Hurd, I feel like, was more of like an inside guy. So – who is going to be the guy on the outside? Is it is it going to be born? If let me ask you this: If your team is 13, 12, 13, 14 win team, can Kendrick Bourne be your top threat? God, that's a good question. Can he be the top threat? No, but Kittle's okay. the top threat. Can he be your top right. receiver? That's maybe. What I'm I think I, if you're, if I don't know, I can't. I would say no. Yeah, I don't, I don't. If we're just like removing our feelings of how we feel about the player, removing our emotions, I think there's no way that he can be your top receiver. I think Bourne is excellent on third down. He's excellent in the red zone. Like he has a, a strict, a very familiar role, and that's what you want. But is that going to be a guy where it's third and six? Everybody knows he's going to get the ball. Can he shake free from a Jalen Ramsey? Would you trust him to to get open against that? <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not making that bet. You guys can make that bet all you want to, but I'm not going to. I don't even know that I would. I don't know how many receivers on the roster that I would trust to get open against like a top tier CB one, and that's probably why we're having this conversation in the first place. So I think Brandon Ayuk is very, very good, and he is a perfect fit for what the 49ers want to do. He's also a rookie wide receiver, and we were spoiled with Debo last year. We were also spoiled with Nick Bosa. So that the the expectations for some of the rookies from here on out, are going to be not fair just because of what the previous rookies have done. So I think we have to be a little careful on, you know, Ayuk. But he's, he's a talent. He's a vertical threat. He's a guy that can win on the outside. He did it in college. Will he be able to do it early in the NFL? Because if Debo is out for an extended period of time, he might not have a choice. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about this Debo injury, too, because – this Jones fracture, it's the kind of thing where if you come back too soon, you there's a very, very high chance that you re-injure it. And it's also the kind of thing where you think you're doing better than you are. Like you think, hey, you're good to go, but the bone itself is not actually healed all the way. And the only reason I know so much about this is because Kevin Durant had the same thing, and I'm a huge Oklahoma City Thunder fan. So when he had it, I was like studying all about the Jones fracture and what are they going to do and are they going to put a screw in there and it's it's a it can be a lingering thing and you know Debo's I'm sure going to work his tail off to try and come back as soon as he can and that might work against him with this kind of injury. Yeah, that's and that's pretty terrifying, man. Just to know that his mindset, like he wants to get back as soon as possible, that can work against you. 
And now those are the type of injuries that don't go away. Like these, when you, how many people do you know had a broken foot or had a Jones fracture, and then all of a sudden, oh, they're fine. Like that just you don't really <laughs> hear that much, man. It's, and I'm glad you re, you said you researched that because there are so many examples, and it's, it's pretty terrifying. So I'm hoping that they kind of slow roll Devo coming back, and the early schedule will help. But I don't think it's going to be as much of a cakewalk as people think without without uh, Debo. The good news is there is plenty of talent. They still have a uh, you know they still have Kyle Shanahan. They still have the weapons. They still have Mostert, Garoppolo, Kittle. So they'll be able to score some points. And it's just going to be on Kyle to come up with that. So it'll it'll this season got a lot more interesting. That is for sure. Let's uh let's talk about the top 100 list because that's what everybody was arguing about all week. We had. Let's start outside. So Eric Armstead just missed the top 100 list. He came in at 104. Keanu Martin said that. Do you think Eric Armstead should have made the list? Uh, no. I, I don't want to get too fired up about whether he should have been like 100 or if he was, you know, 105. <laughs> um, I, the thing I don't like about this list is that they put it together like November, October, November, December is when they put it together. So like a huge part of the season is not over, and they, they're putting together this top 100 list. So that's frustrating to me because what a guy does, especially late in the season, makes you feel a lot differently about him than you would maybe earlier in the year. So that's a point of contention with me. I don't have a problem with Armstead being left off. If he has another year like he just did, then he should definitely be on it. I think if Armstead would have finished the season, how he started the season, he would have easily been on the list. But he got off to a really hot start, and then I don't believe he had a sack until after the Packers game in Week 12. And you know, players remember that, so they're, they're looking at stat, they're looking at stats like sacks as as much as we talk about pressure rates. Like players aren't googling how many pressures they have; they want to see how many sacks, how many quarterback hits you have. So uh, Eric Armstead didn't make it. The Next player on the list was great to see. So Fred Warner, number 70. In my mind, Fred Warner is undoubtedly the best coverage linebacker in the NFL. I wrote, I've wrote about this plenty of times. Like you, I tweet all kind of clips on him during the season. It's A lot of people will only show, you know, the, one, the plays where he's targeted, where it's like the golf interception that was thrown right to him. Like those are, those are not the plays that make Warner special. The plays that make Warner special are the ones where he takes away a throw where the quarterback can't make it. Like, against the Ravens, he had so many pass breakups where, like, he's running with Hollywood Brown, arguably one of the fastest players in the NFL. He's getting a pass breakup on the fourth down. But he's doing things against the Rams where Goff has to double clutch and throws it into trouble. So the plays where you really can't see is what makes him special. I'm just glad that his peers gave him the recognition because – I don't feel like people understand how great, not good, great Warner was last year. And it's not, um, it wasn't really him, like his biggest issue was just angles and missed tackling. I think missed tackles are a little overrated to begin with, like for linebackers, because a lot of guys can get to places where most guys can. And they don't really have as much of an impact because, for example, if Warner gets gets to a running back in the backfield, hits him, doesn't wrap him up, you know the 49ers are going to swarm and they have like four other guys right there. That's still a positive play for the 49ers. So, yeah, I, uh, 
I'm just I'm just glad that he was able to get the recognition he was able to get. Do you have any thoughts on Warner? I'm really glad that he made it because I agree with you. I think he's amazing, and the plays that he makes don't always show up in, in a way that's easy to see, like you pointed out. You know, the 49ers fans have been spoiled by some really good linebacker play with Willis and Bowman, and I think Fred Warner is going to be right with those guys by the time he gets – you know, 10 years into his career. I think he's incredible. I think he, 70 is going to be the lowest he appears on this countdown in the years to come for sure. The next is this guy named Jimmy Garoppolo. What? He plays quarterback. <laughs> he plays quarterback for the 49ers. He was ranked 43rd, which I was shocked. I was really, really shocked. And you mentioned how the players – you know, this is happening before December. So the 49ers were the best team in the NFL by this point when they're making they are making this list. And whether, you know, the Internet can argue as much as they want to, players want a quarterback that's going to win. And Jimmy obviously wins. The 49ers were in a great position all year. And I think another part of that is just that the, I think one of his best traits that doesn't really get talked about is his ability to hang in there in the pocket. So, like, Garoppolo, he just doesn't flinch. And that goes a long way with not only making plays. Like, it helps that he has a crazy quick release. It helps that he cannot step into his throws. But he just doesn't flinch and he doesn't waver. So, I I forgot the stat. I wish I had it pulled up. But his numbers after an interception were very, very good this year. And that just tells you, like, when things go bad and and he is known to make the, (laughs) what the hell did you just do, Jimmy, throw. But after that... He's, he's fine. Like, he's a really good quarterback. So, I think they recognize that. And, you know, he's just calm, cool, collected. So, when you saw Jimmy ranked 43rd, what was your, what was your um, reaction? Well, first of all, I think being the 43rd best player in the entire NFL is pretty damn good. Um, and the thing that stood out to me is, yes, he was 43rd in the NFL, but he was the eighth quarterback on the whole list. So, according to the players... Jimmy Garoppolo is the eighth-best quarterback in the league. I mean, they voted on this thing. It was Lamar, Russell Wilson, Mahomes, Breeze, Brady Rogers, Deshaun Watson, and Jimmy Garoppolo. He was ahead of Dak, ahead of Cousins, ahead of Tannehill, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray. So I think that was pretty accurate by the players, and all your points were totally dead on. All the things Jimmy does well is all the things that players respect, especially defensive players. And by the way, I just want to point out for all the people that say that it's just Kyle Shanahan – when Jimmy Garoppolo, when Garoppolo plays, the Niners score 12 more points a game than when he doesn't play. And, oh, by the way, they almost never lose. You can say that's all Kyle Shanahan when you want, but it's still his system when he's not in there. And the numbers and the facts have proven out the 49ers are better when Jimmy Garoppolo is there. All right, so I found the stat. Here are Garoppolo's numbers. Here were Garoppolo's numbers last year after throwing an interception. He threw the ball 39 times. What would you? How many completions would you guess he had? Thirty-three. He completed thirty-six passes. That thirty-six is, of thirty-nine. That is good for ninety-two percent, which is not bad. <laughs> not bad. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so thirty-six for thirty-nine. He had forty-two. Four. Sorry, four hundred and twenty-nine yards. So thirty-six attempts or thirty-nine attempts, four hundred twenty-nine yards. That is 11 yards per attempt. So now we're really cooking. That is, that probably I imagine that leads the that would lead the NFL. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, pass for 109. So that is 
Yeah, that's uh, not not too shabby. Not too shabby. That is what you want, man. That is unreal. So a guy that doesn't flinch, doesn't waver, and when he makes a mistake, fine, whatever. So move on from it. So the players do respect that. It was, it was uh, I was surprised. I didn't think that he would be that high. I honestly wasn't even sure he would make the list. I didn't know how players honestly felt about them, him. So it says a lot. And my next question to you would be, next year, will Jimmy be higher or lower? I think he's going to be higher. I think there's no question he's going to be a better quarterback than what we saw this year. His first full year as a starter, he still doesn't have a ton of experience when it comes to game. I know people like Grant Cohen always like to talk about his age, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) If you get your license at 30, but you've never driven before, you're going to make all the same mistakes a 16-year-old makes because you've never actually done it. I don't care if you sat in the passenger seat while the best driver in the world was driving the car. That doesn't teach you how to do it. He ha- he's just getting experience now. When you look at Kyle Shanahan's quarterbacks, they've always done better their second full year as a starter. I think the arrow is only pointing up for Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, we're t- it's 2020. Tom Brady and Drew Brees are in their 40s. I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer as they are, but it's just fine. Like, he's going to be able to play for another 10 years. Why? The only reason he wouldn't be is if there's, like, some catastrophic injury, and, and that's just – you just don't really see that for quarterbacks, though. The reason I think that he would be higher is because, you know, he's not worried about – we always talk about the ACL. He doesn't have to worry about the knee brace. I think one of his other best traits that really doesn't – for whatever reason, he doesn't get a lot of credit. I think Garoppolo can run out of pressure and just kind of escape. I think he moves a lot better. I think he's a better athlete than a lot of people think he is or gives, gives him credit for. So uh, next on the list – Richard Sherman, number 28. I don't remember how high he was, like what number corner he was, but just to be in the top, like in the top 30 for NFL players at age 32. Sherman was an all-pro. He, I believe he had, let me look it up, I think he was seventh overall in adjusted pass yards for cornerbacks. I mean, he had a, one of the best passer ratings. You could just go down the stat list for Sherman. He was, he was up there in just about every statistic. My question, and it's not so much about this year, what what has to happen for the 49ers to re-sign a 33-year-old Richard Sherman? Because that's the big question. What do the 49ers do at cornerback this year? DJ Reed's already down, and essentially all of their top top four corners are going to be, you know, uh, free agents next year. I this could be recency bias, but I still have nightmares about Richard Sherman getting torched by Sammy Watkins in the Super Bowl, getting torched at the end of the NFC Championship game, which Sammy Watkins said he watched and used in the Super Bowl when he owned Sherman. (laughs) He does so many things well, and and everything you just said points that out. But if you're talking one-on-one, he he flat out does not have the speed anymore against some of these guys. And if you don't think that other teams around the league are going to be looking at that and doing exactly the same thing next year, I think you're nuts. So – he was high on the list this year. I I don't have as much faith in Richard Sherman going forward. Now, if they want to move him to safety, maybe we can talk about it there. But I think his years at corner are numbered. And to be honest with you, if I were the 49ers, I don't know that I would resign him beyond this season. Yeah, I think just from a business standpoint, it wouldn't make much sense to build around your number one corner being 33. And they're going to probably – they're going to – you know, let's say that they release Quan Alexander and maybe even uh, one of the linemen, whether it's Richburg or Tomlinson, that's 15 to $17 million right there. So you can throw that at a valuable veteran cornerback if you would like to. So, um, Jalen Ramsey. Um, I would say that, that would be. 
that like that would just make the most sense. Spend a lot of money on a veteran that is, you know, in his prime if he does reach free agency. So it was great to see Rich Sherman at number 28, though. I do think that, you know, long speed is his biggest, you know, issue just because that's not, that's never been who he was. Like, he's never been, like, an uber athlete. He's very smart, and I do think he will be able to continue to play. I don't know that safety is his best position just because, you know, we see Jimmy Ward make these rangy plays. Can, can Richard Sherman get to top gear like that? Can he, can he reach those things? Can he cover as much ground? And I'm not so sure he can do that either going forward or backwards. So uh, this might be the last year for Richard Sherman, but, man, what, what he's done for this team has been a lot. So next on the list, uh, Nick Bosa, 23-year-old Nick Bosa made the top 20 in the NFL. So think about this. Every player in the NFL – views Nick Bosa already as essentially one of the best players in the NFL. And he has not played uh, – he has only played one season. So that, speaking of stats, you can just go down the line with Bosa, and he's pretty much top eight across the board. One of my favorite stats was he was he was number six overall in, like, quote-unquote total pressures. That includes sacks, hits, hurries. But – so Bosa had 80. He only rushed – he only had 777 snaps. So he had 80, and Cam Jordan, who is played 100 more snaps than him, was third, and he had 83. <laughs> Everyone else that was higher than Bosa played at least 100 more snaps than him. So if we were to just go by a play-by-play basis, Bosa was the best pass rusher in the NFL. And that is going to rub a lot of people, non-49ers fans, the wrong way. But this guy was unbelievable, man, like his hands, his strength. And if you remember the beginning of the season, he was missing sacks left and right. Like he yes, left he five or six sacks on the field. So he has plenty of, plenty of room to improve. I think that he can be a better run defender. I think he can play more under control. I think there's quite a bit that he can get better at, which is scary to, to think about the 2019 version of Nick Bosa was the worst version that we're probably going to see. Just saying that out loud is pretty, just pretty crazy. Do you have any just quick thoughts on Bosa? When you put it like that, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. The guy is a monster. He's a freak. Joe Staley told everybody he was a freak after practicing against him just a few times. And I hate to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. Watch the games. He changes plays, even plays he doesn't get to the quarterback that have to shift the tight end over to help out to block on him. He changes the entire offensive game plan, and like you said, he's 23 years old. I, I don't like putting it in this in these terms because we're talking about somebody else. No but Jimmy Garoppolo getting hurt was totally worth it to get Nick Bosa. I'm sorry. Bosa's a monster. Pass rusher is the hardest position to get in the NFL, and they've got this guy locked up for at least – Four more years. Unreal, man. And his brother just got paid, and two, three years from now, that contract is going to look nothing compared to what Nick gets. And that is going to be scary to be to see what kind of money he gets. And we already talked about Kittle. Uh, were you surprised that Kittle was ranked that high? I That high, yes. Um, just because I was surprised that they would give as much love to a tight end as they did. But uh, he has basically no weakness to his game I can't think of a single weakness George Kittle has. He blocks like a maniac. He runs a 4-5, which nobody thinks he's as fast as he is, probably because he's oh, white. Oh, he is. <laughs> and he's a monster. I mean, he's he has no weaknesses, so good on them for, for recognizing that. Uh, that's, that's a good point. I think that, 
you know, he's uh, he's one of those sneaky fast, <laughs> sneaky good athletes where this I – I know in Iowa, so I, I lived in Iowa City when he was in college, and I had access to some of their weightlifting numbers, and he was, like, number one. And, and this is, like, tight end you, like tight end factory. Yeah. And he was blowing guys' weight room uh, weight room numbers out of the water. And he had a, he had run a 4-5-1 when he was younger. He had jumped, like, a 37-and-a-half-inch vertical. And those are going to get – like, it's just unreal what he did then, knowing that he's going to be stronger now. So, yeah, I, I would say uh, let's, let's four, do the five, thing. 1 Yeah, he ran a 4-5-1 as a junior at Iowa. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, there's just I don't there's just no I don't I don't know what bad you can say about him. I, I guess if we're comparing him to Kelsey, Kelsey's I, I would say Kelsey's a better route runner, but that's not saying that Kittle is a bad route runner. Like I think that's the biggest uh, the biggest difference there. So and I don't I don't know what what to say about Kittle other than he is going to get paid a lot of money and he he deserves that. So I think the last thing that we really have is Jamal Adams because we had Jamal Adams rumors for a long time. And Lynch was pretty adamant that the team wasn't really interested. And my initial impression was they got outbid. I don't know if he's going to admit that because and Matt Mayoko had a good point where he came out and said, look, Lynch has been open with us on everything, whether it was dealing with Trent Williams, whether it was, you know, um, just you go on and on and on to all the things that he's been open with the media about, and he has and he has been. But in this situation, because they didn't get the player, there's the difference between when you don't get the player. He's not going to be like, yeah, we made a run at uh, we made a run at Jamal Adams, but we're happy with what we have right now. That that doesn't make sense, and there's just no reason for him to do that. I think that there probably was interest. How how serious that interest is the real question. There is no way that the 49ers are going to spend two first-round picks. I would never do that for a sake. I just can't imagine doing that. I don't care what you think of Jamal Adams. I don't think anybody's going to argue that Jamal Adams is a special player. But he's not worth two first-round picks. He's just not moving the needle like that. What do you? Uh, how, how serious do you think the 49ers were? And what would what would you have been willing to give up for Adams? I think that they were serious. I think that it went like this. I think that John Lynch called Joe Douglas and said, hey, look, you can have Jimmy Ward. You can have – name a safety on our team. You can have him. You can have a first-round pick in 2021. And you can have another pick that's not a first-round pick after that. Can we do this deal? And Joe Douglas said, no friggin' way. And that was the end of the conversation. I think if, if the Niners could have gotten – Adams by giving up a package of players and maybe one first-round pick, I think they would have done it. They're very aggressive. They like to go after guys, especially these big names. Um, I think that that was their plan. And once that didn't materialize, I think John Lynch hung up the phone and said, "Oh well, we tried, but we're not going to. We're you know we're not going to mortgage the future, especially when we need that young, cheap labor because we have so many stars that we're going to have to re-sign to big contracts." Yeah, that's a great point. I think that it like there is a difference between making an offer and just making a crazy offer. I don't I don't imagine how you can see what the 49ers have done in the past two or three years and think that they didn't make an offer for Adams. It just doesn't make sense to me. And as we said, it's the difference between what was the offer. Lynch, they've been low-balling people forever. So it's not like, it's not like this is a... 
this is any any news. And if the Jets would have been dumb enough to take that deal, which I'm sure it was, like, sure, of course you're going to make the deal. But if they don't, right. all right, well, we're going to make the playoffs with or without Jamal Adams. We'll be fine. He's just what would put us over the top, over the top. And I think that's probably how this ended up. So, yeah, man, it was uh, we are just getting started here. There is going to be a lot more 49ers news. Training camp is right around, like, training camp's already underway. 49ers are going to get going here with the helmets and shoulder pads next week. Uh, no preseason games, so that's going to be weird as we're <laughs> going uh, to be limited to even access. So only 10 reporters can go, and a lot of that's going to go to, you know, the, the beat writers. So I'll only be able to go to a couple practices. I'm going to try to get as much information as I can, but it, uh, it it's going to be fun. I, I just hope – I hope that there is a season. I know that there is a lot of doubt that there will be an ex- a full season. They're going to start. The only question is how many games – Will there be any interruptions? How do you how do you feel about that? Do you do you have any thoughts on just the whole COVID situation? I want there to be a football season. I love football. I live and breathe 49ers. I look forward to it. I count the seconds till the football season starts. That said, we should not be playing football this year. It is insane that we're going to be putting all these people together. I don't care what kind of dumb masks they put on the face mask. It's not going to work. We're seeing it in Major League Baseball. The first weekend they started traveling, they had COVID outbreaks. I I would love for there to be football. I just don't think that they should be doing it. Why has the NFL not thought about this bubble situation outside of the fact that the owners probably just don't care about player safety, which is probably the only reason. But they don't. They probably don't want to spend their money, and they don't want <laughs> like it's not a priority. They they're thinking dollar bills right now and if there's no season that they're gonna obviously the revenue is gonna go way way down and they're gonna lose a lot of money so that's why they're they're pushing for a season and even in the new cba updates nflpa all that that was going on for the whole last couple weeks it still seems like the players are getting shafted and i just i just can't imagine why you wouldn't put the players first but we're talking about the owners, and we've seen their stances on real-life issues. So <laughs> they're not going to all of a sudden care about the players. So, yeah, I, I'm hoping, man. I'm just crossing my fingers and hoping that there's no interruptions. A bubble like the NBA is doing seems like the way to go, but I don't know. How, how would that even be possible with how many players and teams there are in the NFL? Like We're talking about 53, 55-man rosters plus practice squad and all the traveling. It's just, oh, man. Yeah, it's not going to be good. I mean, the owners are still talking about trying to get fans in their own stadium. That's why they don't want a bubble. They want the ticket sales. So, uh, I mean, you think that you think that you're going to have fans in stands? Are you out of your mind? They can't even do it in baseball. They can't even do baseball with no people in the stand. The cardboard cutouts aren't even working. Man, well, that there is no better way to end that. <laughs> this podcast on. So my name's Kyle Posey. You can follow me on Twitter, KP underscore show. We will be back um, once a week from now on and hopefully more and more as the season revs up. You can follow Rob on Twitter at Stats on Fire. Rob, anything else that you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, Thanks for having me on and God, let there be a football. Let there be a football season. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great weekend and go Niners.